So this is the Interledger bi-weekly call, 17th of Feb. Um, we have one topic on the agenda, which is identity verification. I think uh, Stefan's talking when he proposed the topic about uh, verifying that you're paying who you think you're paying and, and you know, efforts to help payers ensure that they are doing that. Um, but maybe it's broader than that. I'll, I'll hand over to him in a second to introduce. Um, no other topics proposed by the forum. Um, so we'll we'll go with that and then see if there's anything, any time left and anything else anyone wants to discuss. So Stefan, do you wanna introduce the topic? Uh, it would be my pleasure. Um, yeah, so you, you, you hit it right on the head, which is um, the problem is um, you're sending money to somebody, um, let's say you're checking out on an online store or um, you're just uh, sending money to a friend or a relative. Um, and as you're about to hit that send button, it hits you like, what if that website was hacked? What if someone's impersonating my relative? What if that email was a phishing email? How do I actually know that I'm sending to the right person? And so at that moment, um, the technology we're about to discuss kicks in and, and, and saves you. So what could that technology be? Well, um, the first thing you might say is like, okay, well, everyone is KYC'd with their wallet, meaning the wallet knows who they are. Um, maybe you've submitted some kind of scan of a passport or scan of an ID. Um, and so they have verified your identity at least to some degree. Um, and so we could just uh, include that information in the SPCP response, um, and then your descending wallet could display it. However, the problem is that obviously we have various privacy regulations. And even if that wasn't the case, like I think a lot of wallets wouldn't be comfortable sharing their users' information that freely. Um, I believe, but don't quote me, uh, that is the behavior of PayPal, for example. If you are if you're using like PayPal.me or something, it does show like the name of the person you're sending to. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, in, in a more open network like Intelligent, we maybe want to uh, be even more conservative. And also I think a lot of the companies that are currently involved in Intelligent are very privacy conscious. And so um, we, we definitely want to think about it. The other reason you may not want to show somebody's real name is, well, that might just not be how they're known in the community uh, of whoever's sending to them. So for example, for us at Coil, we work with a lot of creators and a lot of them very intentionally either keep their real identity private, or at least don't, don't publish it that much. And they are online under various like pseudonyms or stage names kind of thing. Um, and so you'd really want to show their stage name, but then of course, like the verification, you know, becomes much more difficult or, or kind of goes into a very different direction. And so um, I'll quickly put out a straw man maybe as a, um, as a way to start the discussion. Um, so we've thought about, um, a model where you could have different people attesting uh, to various facts. I think that's a common theme in a lot of identity systems. Um, and so you have basically an attester, you have a fact that's being attested to, the attestation is signed, it may also be irrevocable, um, and it is included um, either in the SPSP response or it's somehow transmitted along with the payment pointer. We had some internal discussions, I don't know if um, anyone on the call is taking the other side. I'm personally more in, in favor of putting it in the SPSP response. And then in terms of what information to reveal, um, a simple solution could be to have different payment pointers for different contexts. So for example, if I'm a creator and I'm asking for tips, like I might create a specific payment pointer for that, which has 
my social identities and my my social media identities verified. So it has like a um, I've proven that I own a certain Twitter account. I've proven that I own a certain YouTube channel. I, I've proven that I own a certain Twitch stream, etc. Um, and the sender can see all of that, but they can't see my real name. Versus if I'm more of an individual and I'm, I'm using Intelligent to have uh, you know transact with friends, then I might just have my real name verified. And that's the attested fact that is associated with the payment point that I use in that context. So um, I'll stop there. And I'm super curious to hear from, from especially David, because you guys did so much work on identity. I'm kind of curious, like if that, any of that resonates with you, if there's existing solutions that you're aware of, et cetera. So I'll stop there. Thanks, Stefan. David, anything from your side? Uh, I, yeah, I, I love the concept. Um, I think with pay, pay stream, we have similar problems. The best we came to was um, essentially like, and I don't mean anything even close to what you were describing, Stefan. It was more like, how do you um, how do you know that the the public private key pair of the person that's interacting with is actually their theirs, <clears throat> and then. In our case, we were actually paying down into a layer one. So there was like another attack vector that I don't think exists in Interledger. So we we ultimately sort of, I, I think, paused the whole identity initiative on grounds that it's just big. And we were looking at uh, DID pretty strongly. I don't know if anyone in the call is familiar with that, that offer. No. Yeah, do you want to expand a bit on what that is? Yeah, it's, a, it's basically just like a distributed identity uh, protocol, if you will. So there's there's a namespace. And then uh, I think the idea is that you can have like underlying uh, implementations, if you will, that would actually store identity or credentials or claims. So I think in the, in the lingo of that, um, world it's uh like a verifiable claim would be something similar to what you were talking about Stefan, where you can say things like i am over 21 and there's some authority that will verify that that is true and um the, the person receiving the claim doesn't need to know who you are necessarily the the one interesting thing that we we didn't get terribly far on is um there's a few projects that are trying to become the base chain for the for the DID ecosystem, and so there's a few. There's one initiative built on Bitcoin. Um, I think there's a nascent one built on on ETH, and then but there's like a pluggable sort of architecture. So we think they maybe to build that on XRP as well. But the XRP layer you can get very far on that. Either. I did notice uh, as like an orthogonal point yesterday uh, was just exploring Uphold and I noticed there was a thing called Global ID, uh, but I, I couldn't really grok what, if, if Global ID was something along these lines or, or if they're doing something Cool, thanks, David. Yeah, so so um, my understanding of Global ID, Global ID is a business of great kids um, uh, and, and it's a, um, it's very similar. It's it's attestations, and you collect attestations under your global ID, um, and and then you can use that you know global ID 
to yeah, assert those um, you know credentials in different places. I, I think they're participating in the verified claims work. Um, one thing I wanted to make a comment on is um, I think what we should do is be very clear on the scope here that this is not about proving who you are in the real world. It's not about KYC or AML or anything. I think if we scope it tightly and we say this is just about giving somebody uh, some confidence that they're sending money to the right person, that's a slightly more tractable problem. Um, and and as you were describing verifiable claims, I was thinking, you know, verifiable claims is a useful standardized kind of um, way of expressing these things, but it does require you to put these attestations somewhere and for someone to be, you know, attesting of them. Whereas what might be an easier bootstrap along the lines of what Stefan was saying is just to be able to say, you know, in my profile at Uphold, for example, um, I provide the link to a tweet that I made or a comment I put on Facebook or something. And in that com tweet and in that comment, I make some statement like I own the pay ID, I, I own the um, <laughs> the payment pointer, you know, uphold.com slash one, two, three, four. And so then when somebody queries that payment pointer, the SVSB response, has links to the tweet and the Facebook post and whatever, and they can actually go and verify them, those things themselves. They can go look at them themselves um, or choose not to, but that way they can then, so the sending wallet can say to its user, hey, like you're sending money to David and he is, you know, at whatever you are, David on Twitter. And, you know, this is his Facebook account. And we verified that those, that Twitter account and that Facebook account claim to be linked to this payment pointer, um, which I think is quite nice. It's it's a little bit more um, work for the paying wallet to do, but it's quite nice in that it's kind of all you're standardizing is a kind of a per platform method of like a testing um, that you own the payment pointer. Does that make sense? Um, so yeah, you don't you don't need all the verifiable claims and so on, which which are useful um, maybe down the line. But this is a really like lightweight mechanism. Um, I have a question for Stefan. How does what um, Joachim at Jolicom, um, how does that project fit into this, if at all, and can it be adjusted to meet some of these needs? Good question. Um, it'd be nice to have one of them here to, to represent for themselves. Um, I don't know too much about it. I do know that it is um, fairly uh, built on similar principles as the web and Interledger. And so um, I could see there being a good fit, but I'm not familiar enough with it technically to see if it's like a drop-in solution or um, if, if there are gaps based on our requirements. It might be helpful to have you think it might be helpful to have another conversation yeah i think i think at some point we should have like a, a technical level conversation with them because i think the call that we had previously was more around you know kind of the the executive sponsors and like the this discussion of uh giving them a grant but um i think we should have like a purely technical call on it um with technical folks from both intelligent community and from their community uh, brianna can you um 
just repeat who, who's the group you're referring to? Um, sure, Jolakam, and I can forward you his information and kind of facilitate setting up a call. Um, but his name is Joaquim. Uh, Joaquim. Yeah, I, I'm more interested for everyone else on the call to kind of be able to go and um, okay. read up a bit more, follow up. Uh, um, and the name of the company is Jolacom, J-O-L-O-C-O-M. Okay, interesting. Cool. And it's probably worth mentioning that despite the name, the standards that they're working on are all totally open. They just, I don't know, for some reason, take the name Jolacom and uh, uh -huh. then give it as a disclaimer that it's all open despite the com in there. So that's uh -huh. Okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, based on the context that you provided there, Stefan, it sounds like, like there's a couple of questions. Um, the first one is, um, how does this like metadata get shared? Uh, you've proposed in the SVSB response. Like, I think that's a nice, elegant solution. Um, do you think that's something we could uh, expect existing SVSB servers to implement relatively easy? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the hard part is where do those attestations ultimately come from and, and who generates them? Um, so, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, certainly Coil, we could be like a first attester and start playing around with the protocol. And of course, other people are welcome to do the same. Um, and, uh, and then I guess, you know, some of the wallets, uh, I think, you know, it will take them a little bit longer. Um, but I think we can use that time to figure out what the standard should be and what, what the formats should look like. It'll take plenty of time probably. Mm. I, I guess in my head, the lightweight way to do this or the easiest like starting point is um, you don't put the onus on the wallets to do anything but add an array of attestations to the SVSB response and an attestation is literally just a URL. And then oh, you, you just, go off and, you know. You just reminded me of a really good, um, hack, which is you can always run your own web server and just proxy SPSP response and just add whatever metadata mm. you would like. Um, mm. So that could yeah. be a, a sort of nice way to, to play with it before the wallet's adopted. Ha, huh, that's a good point. Sort of like how we do receipts. Um, that's an interesting one. And, then, and, and, and I mean, for me, like, as, uh, again, straw man um, is it's just an array of URLs. So you say like, you know, in the SVSP response, you say like attestations and all of those URLs just point to, like I said, like somewhere on the web where that payment point is mentioned. Um, and depending on the context of how it appears, the client can infer whatever they want to infer from it. So if it's just the user's homepage and they've got the, pay the payment pointer is as a meta tag, you know, then the sending wallet can say, oh, and this guy, you know, this web page collects money under that payment pointer. Or if it's a tweet, they can say, oh, this, you know, this tweet, this Twitter handle tweeted specifically that payment pointer, things like that. Um, so you kind of move the, put the work on the on the sending wallet to go off and like hit all of those URLs and, and gather the data because it seems like it's very cacheable. It shouldn't be something that changes. Or is there a, what's is there a security risk there? I guess the other question is what are the alternatives? Like if you didn't put in a SVSP response, what other ways are there of doing this? Well, so if it's not an SVSP response, and and it's kind of interesting because like we had an internal discussion. I don't, you know, I'm not going to call anyone out, but basically, 
um, some, some of our engineers felt that um, it was better to put it into like web payments, for example, where it's like you have the ability to submit other metadata alongside the, um, the payment pointer. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I can't really represent <laughs> the argument very well. So, um, but I think it's sort of, um, yeah, I, I just can't represent the argument very well, unfortunately. I don't know if uh, one of you who were on the call. Yeah, I think it was contextual, can... basically, like if you're, if you're specifically, depending on what you're oh, doing. Right. Um, you know, there might, there's an opportunity to pass the metadata. So if it's like a tipping button, the tipping button would invoke the wallet and pass it the payment pointer for the tip, but also the metadata of who the tippy or the, the receiver is. Um, uh, yeah, Sabina Kincaid, others who are on the call. Yes, maybe so I, I, I think I'm the individual being called out. Um, the, the reason I... <laughs> um, like I, I think including it in the SPSD and open payments or open payments response is fine. Um, like I think the argument for sharing it in in kind of this higher layer um, way is it enables us to deploy it potentially faster. Um, Is it maybe fair to say instead that, like, of, I think another advantage like, would be that? Of, Go ahead, sorry. Like, instead of every recipient wallet developing the, like, uh, UI um, and database to, like, I mean, they, they obviously already have that, but, like, to store each of these properties, whether it's, you know, a Twitter account, et cetera, et cetera, this is just stored within you know, wherever the recipient, uh, their website is, however they're hosting the code that initiates the payment, like it's stored within that. And I think that like simplifies at the, I think that simplifies the deployment a little bit because anyone can generate, uh, you know, can, or, sorry, can build their own static site to generate um, one of these payment buttons um, that also attaches this metadata rather than only the wallet providing that functionality. I think that's fine. Yeah, like it's fine if the wallets provide that, but I, I think that like, it's probably a longer time frame, and then if we add more features down the road, like that takes longer. Yeah, I mean that seems release. like a good idea. That's like they're not mutually exclusive. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say like the the um, it, this ties into a couple of interesting themes. So one is um, whether you think of the payment pointer as purely like a a physical location where money can move, right? Like this is this is a certain account that money could move into. Or do you view it as something pretty contextual? Like one um, example I would give is like, I've always thought about payment pointers as something it could represent, for instance, an invoice. And you, you can argue that like with, when paying an invoice, it's still going into like the merchant's like receivables account, um, regardless of which invoice it is. So maybe it should all be the same payment pointer. Um, whereas if you take the more contextual interpretation of what a payment pointer is, you would say like, well, each invoice could be represented by a different payment pointer and could then therefore carry different metadata. And so I think that's a pretty high level decision that we'd want to make and then try to be consistent about it. So either 
they're never contextual or they're always contextual, um, I would say. And then the other theme that I think this connects to is um, we've talked in the past about whether the place where um, you're connecting to sort of the, the traditional fiat rails, the fiat money system, or the, I shouldn't say fiat, but like the, the traditional financial system, you know, things like bank accounts, et cetera, um, whether that should be also the company that operates your wallet or whether um, we should have a setup where you can sort of choose a wallet like you choose an email provider that is sort of independent from who you choose as your internet provider. Um, so for example, you could be on Comcast but then use uh, Gmail for your emails. Um, and the way that that would work is, is you basically get a something like a BTP access point or LPHTP access point from your uh, intellectual provider, and then you can choose any wallet you want. And then a lot of this really complex, rich UX can actually live independent from the people that are providing the financial services. There are other concerns why that might not work, but that was one of the big decisions that we have to make at some point or um, that we have to see how that how it plays out that would impact us. When you talk about um, contextual versus non-contextual, you're talking about uh, payment pointers. So like, do we have ephemeral payment pointers or do we have long-lived or do you want to expand on that a bit? Yeah, totally. I think that's another dimension, like, uh, what, like how long they live. Um, also, like if I have an account, um, like a bank account, would I give a different payment pointer to my friends than what I would post publicly, for example? Um, would I generate new payment pointers um, for different payments that I'm trying to make. Like, for example, if I want somebody to pay me 50 bucks, so I generate a payment pointer that's good for receiving 50 bucks and then stops working, right? Um, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there as an open question. Mm. Anyone have thoughts on that? I have many because we discussed this in a lot of detail thinking about open payments, but I, I want to give others a chance to to uh i kind of i kind of think of them as both so for example um in my mind i, I don't actually have one but in my mind there's like a there's a payment pointer that could be on par with my twitter handle like it's pretty constant i might want it to be semi-public so that i can, i don't know form some reputation around it perhaps but then there are also other types of payment pointer that are more disposable so like i I think the flow and coil actually with the uphold payment pointer, like it's just a number <laughs> after coil or after uphold, like there's no real, um, like I'm not, I'm not handing that out to people, but it works really well to give it to coils so that I can get paid. Um, so what that's worth, I, I kind of see it as ways. I'm not sure we should pick one or the other. Do we have to pick one or the other? Yep. yep. Any, any other? Thoughts on this? In Sabina? my mind, this is like pretty similar to how emails work. Like I have one primary email and then I have aliases that are still maybe not gibberish, but I can also have like a gibberish alias that I put out there where I don't want people to know my real, e like my actual email address. And then you have those like throwaway email addresses too for things you want to try out. And I guess I, I can see that being the case for payments as well. Mm. I, I guess one sure. interesting thing in, in, in the context of our current discussion is 
like I can imagine myself having what we often call a vanity payment pointer. So like, you know, coil.com slash Adrian or something um, or uphold.com slash Adrian. Um, and, and then having a way to generate really like long, unguessable payment pointers. And if you query the slash Adrian one, you don't get a lot of information. But if you query the, you know, really obscure one, I actually created that to only be valid for 30 minutes or five minutes. And it shares a bunch of personal information if you query it. And that's the one that I exchange when um, I want to get paid for something, um, you know, for a specific transaction or whatever the case may be. So that may be kind of a, a lightweight way of doing like the protection of private information that you want to share by SPSP. But how, uh, how is that different from like invoices? No, it's it's exactly what it would be. So the, the, the payment yeah. pointer represents an invoice, but the difference being when I create one for an invoice, I can also say, oh, and by the way, like attach all this metadata to the SPSP response, like who I am and, you know, a bunch of information about me that if you queried my, you know, long live vanity pointer, you wouldn't get. So it's not protected in as much as the person doing the query doesn't have to have some secret. They just have to have the payment pointer. But that payment pointer is, you know, so obscure, it's like unguessable. It's a bit like the email, you know, activation links and stuff. You, you just go for something like a really long number. I like that idea. You could even have them uh, expire if you were worried about it. Yeah, exactly. That complicates the third-party attestations, though. Like, if that's a unique payment pointer, uh, it does, sure. But but in this case, um, I'm potentially giving you like much richer information directly via SVSP. I don't know. Yeah, it's it, you, you're right that it would make the third-party attestations difficult. Or maybe there's an indirection that if you call the, you know, if you call the really long obscure invoice payment pointer, it also gives you my vanity payment pointer to say, oh, by the way, this is an invoice. Or there are subsets. So it's, you know, uphold.com slash Adrian slash really long UUID or something. I know, I mean, there's, I think there's ways to tie those two together so that the, um, yes. The other linking can still work. Well, I, I ask because I think that's how it's currently spec'd in, in open payments. Yeah. The invoices yeah, yeah. are uh, some reason. Yeah. David, putting up your hand. Good man. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm maximizing my Zoom functionality here. Um, one uh, clarifying question, I guess. So it sounded like the original problem to be solved was I'm on a, I'm on a website or whatever and I want to pay and I want to make sure I'm paying the right person. Um, so my question is, I think we've been talking about trying to secure the, or authenticate or whatever the right word there is, the payment pointer. Uh, but this conversation is having me, reminding me of um, a 2019 ILP conference where we talked about um, basically like secure routing. And I wonder if, um, is there, I'm sort of talking out loud here, so I, I don't even know if this is really a good suggestion or not, but I, I wonder if, it, is there a place where we actually secure the ILP address or authenticate that? And then whatever payment, you know, you just resolve the payment pointer, but the check is actually done one layer lower. 
And, in, and for reference, the way that would work in the, in the 2019 sort of ideation, I think we were hashing um, <clears throat> public keys and actually making those part of the ILP address so that uh, if, if you had some authority, you could actually just look at the ILP address itself and validate against a, a known key. Hmm. Interesting idea. So, so just to replay how this would work, I do an SPSP query, I get back some information, which maybe includes a signature, um, or, or like what, what, how, how does the public key actually come into play here? Yeah, I think that's like the, maybe the million dollar question of the whole scheme. Um, similar problem in pastring. Um, there, there needs like, kind of hand wave that away, I guess, for a minute, but somehow there needs to be some authority. So in DID, that, that could be just everyone, you know, sort of agrees to the same decentralized identifier protocol or, or whatnot. In, in ILP, if we wanted to simplify it, it could just be, you know, an authority network <clears throat> or something else. Hmm. But what you, the ILP address you get back from the SPSP provider would, you know, need to have the, um, the, co the correlation, for lack of a better word, or the attestations sort of embedded in there. Or, or like a pointer, so right, it'd be like, Hash of a public key. Mm. So you need some public key infrastructure so that you can you have a chain and you can say this was issued by the authority. So I think um, depending on the security level, you probably need that in the other model as well. And just I'm channeling the pastering work here. Um, one threat model for pastering, which I think does exist with um, and the pointer is that you're you're trusting the domain provider. So, so in this case, you're trusting the SPSP provider to not be compromised, which is generally true. Um, but in an environment where cool, I've gotten to uphold.com or whatever, but I'm hurt, but I'm not, you know, maybe there's some attacker inside of there. You you need you need an additional attestation, if you will, that is um, well. I don't. Know, it's just different. I, I want to jump in you're here. You're outside of DNS at that point. Go ahead. Uh, I want to jump here and 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 I think like one thing I I do feel pretty strongly about is you know we were talking about like are the payment pointers physical or logical, and I think we're kind of going towards or like. I think we called it contextual, non-contextual. So um, I think we're leaning towards that they are more contextual. As Davina brought up the example of email addresses, which I think is apt. And then um, you can also just say like, well, payment pointers are URLs, right? And, and I think that's kind of how we treat URLs is that like, you could have multiple URLs that point to um, the same physical thing, but just in different contexts, right? Like I could have a profile on Twitter, but then I also have a profile on TikTok and there are different URLs, right? Um, I think that for IntelliJ addresses, I think they are definitely more physical because uh, we're constrained. Like we can just we can't just pick any ILP address. We have to pick the ILP address that results in a decent 
decently efficient path to our actual wallet, where the money needs to go, where the liquidity is, etc. Um, and so I think that things like identity, which are more logical, um, should, shouldn't be tied to the ILP address. It should be more tied to you know, the logical identifiers like the payment pointers, et cetera. Um, and I think it goes to a similar point of what King K was raising with, um, with if payment pointers are issued by your wallet and your wallet is your physical location of money, I think that can make it more difficult to, um, to add a lot of this complex logical information. Whereas like, yeah, in my opinion, if you add it to SPSP, you have a lot more flexibility. So for example, if you needed to proxy it to add some information to it, it's a lot easier to proxy SPSP than it is to proxy ILP. That's a good explanation. I was, I, I was, I was going to ask, like, um, there was someone who asked on uh, the Interledger Slack, like, there was confusion around, like, which I'm sure has come up before, ILP addresses versus payment pointers. And I was kind of trying to think about, like, what's a good explanation of the difference between them? Because in a sense, they both represent accounts payable on Interledger. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to think about it. Uh, for me, payment pointers have always been a pointer. Like that was part of the why we named them that way. Um, I don't know. I, I've always in my mind stuck very closely to the internet analogy and said like um, uh, the the ILP addresses are like IP addresses. Like it's the physical address of your host. And, you know, um, I've thought a little bit about payment pointers being sort of like the, the domain name that you can, you know, it points, you can have multiple of them that point to the same physical place. It's not quite the same, but sort of, but yeah, anyhow. Um, the, the question of like having a key attached to an address space in the Interledger network, um, is that something we, we wanna, like we, we need to explore further? I know it came up in 2019. And I guess we've sort of deferred it because it hasn't been really a pressing requirement. Um, do you think that's still the case? Which ironically, I think is similar to what happened to the internet folks where, you know, people sort of realized that it would be good to have secure routing, but there hasn't been like a strong pressure to implement it right away, you know? Um, <laughs> I think we're in a similar boat where it's like, it just isn't strong pressure on anyone right now to worry about this versus other um, priorities like just straight up adoption and things like that. Yeah, I think the I, I wonder, security model is is a should guide that, right? And I, I guess the comments are persuasive on the call here because in Interledger, it's fundamentally um, like a liability, the, the, the money or the value being moved around. More like liabilities of the, of the participants. So it does seem like a fine, it seems like a fine way to end the security model at the provider. And so, for example, I, I brought up the, the hypothetical of uphold or, or some wallet being compromised internally, but I think that, that maybe 
if we consider that to be out of scope for this, then ending the security model at, at TLS is probably sufficient with whatever the attestation is. Anyway, I guess that long-winded way of saying it. We could solve this at the ILP address layer, but we don't necessarily need to because we're already trusting wallets or, or we're trusting the interledger providers to carry out our wishes, right? Yeah, I would say like the main the main advantage of secured interledger routing would be to protect against the malicious, um, mostly malicious tier one. To some extent, there are some scenarios where like a malicious tier two can screw other tier twos under the same root, like top level prefix. And so right now, I think the number of tier ones is so small and we know them all personally, that's like, it's just not, and the volumes are so low as well that there isn't that much uh, money to take yet. And so I'm just not as worried about it, but um, you know, I, I, I also still think that we're in a place right now where we could add this very quickly. And we also designed all the protocols to have places where it would be added. Um, we've thought about what the architecture would be. We've thought a lot about what, what the protocols would be, how, where would they go, et cetera. Um, so it's, at this point, it's pretty much just about like actually implementing it. And again, I think the pressure right now is, is you know, if we don't grow the network, if we don't add more participants soon, you know, we have limited amount of time to make this protocol take off. And so, um, I, you know, as, as scary as that sounds not to spend all your time on security first, like this is such an edge case of securing a, a, against a hack model that's not very likely right now and wouldn't do a tremendous amount of damage because we have other protections on other layers, like the end-to-end -end protection that, um, that uh, intellectual protocol gives you. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a super high priority right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. David, is your hand still up or are you? <laughs> or is it up okay. again? No, <laughs> let me lower the hand. I, I've been picturing David with his hand up this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a coffee shop with his hand up and the waitress keeps far coming off. past and saying like, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to quickly try and summarize where we are and then think if there's any next steps or any volunteers to try and write something up. Um, I think we're saying a good way to um, do pay validation is for the pay to return some metadata um, either in context or part of the SPSP response. Um, could, could we say as part of the SPSP response and maybe um, say let's rely on redirects and start there and allow additional ways to share the metadata to evolve as needed just maybe i mean it, i don't think it's simply a redirect though like you actually you would you would need to like you're 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 making your own call so you're, so you're running an endpoint you're making your own call to the actual spsp server then adding the fields like maybe that's fine for some deployments, but I think a lot of this design was uh, like the web payments flow is around like try at least like hopefully trying to minimize the require like the server side requirements for most sites using it. Um, sure, you know I, I mean I, I think I that's agree. fine if you're like a platform or something. Like um, I, I don't I I don't think we shouldn't explore the other mechanism. I'm just. I'm thinking in terms of keeping a tight scope to start with. 
uh, I'm thinking about somebody either updating the existing specs or proposing a new RFC that says, this is how you can add metadata about the payee to, um, you know, an SPSP response and like, this is the proposed format and this is the expected behavior of the client when they get that data. Um, and, and it sounds like what we're saying is, you know, keep it simple, a bunch of URLs. Well, this was what I proposed. I didn't hear any opposition. So I'd be interested if there's like other ideas, but, you know, just an array of URLs called attestations that come back in response. And then the client based on where those point decides what to do with them. And then, you know, renders something to the payer that helps them decide whether they should make the payment or not. Um, is that about just right to, or what else? What nuances have we missed there? Just to throw something out there quickly, like, you know, one thing you could do um, is you could have the um, a tester run sort of a public proxy service for people that, that whose wallets don't support this yet. So then they wouldn't have to run their own proxy service. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of, you, you kind of have to trust the tester, right? But yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, the tester- That'll run your own. Well, so, so there's sort of two, two cases, right? Like there's the case where you have only one attester, in which case you kind of already trust them, right? Like they can already spoof a lot of stuff. Um, I guess it is better if they're not also running the proxy of the SPSP response. I don't know, but I, I think it's something. Yeah, that that's, that's sorry, that I misunderstood, misunderstood what you were proposing. Um, mm. I was thinking the attester is the proxy. Um, that, so that's what I was saying. Yes, they were not. So, I would say like to start with, cause we're, we're only talking about like making it easier to adopt. I think that long-term mm -hmm. the wallet is always gonna be a pretty complicated application. I don't see any way around that. Once you get into things like um, uh, mandates, et cetera, and from open payments. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, I'm comfortable having that complexity in the wallet. And, and as a stopgap for, for right now, I'm suggesting the proxy mechanism is fine. Um, because you don't necessarily have to run that yourself. That someone can run that service for you is basically my point. And I think to start with, I think, you know, I'm thinking about Coil. Coil can be in the tester. It can also be your proxy for now. Um, I think that'd be fine for our users. Um, and then maybe more long-term, if we add more stuff to the SPSP response and we can't extract the wallet from the IntelliJ service provider, uh, which again, I think it would still be useful if we can could do that, that would solve a lot of our problems. But um, let's say we can't, I think you could still have sort of a, I don't know what you call it, but like an SPSP provider that like allows you to assemble the SPSP response that you want, which could be like, you know, invoices or um, it could yeah. be, you know, metadata around attestations, et cetera. And you can kind of create a payment pointer, have it proxy to your actual um, wallet payment pointer. Um, but added all the other stuff on top. And in that case, the, the operator of the proxy could be different than the op, the ad tester. Mm -hmm. I, 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 um, I've always thought like the, one of the beautiful things about the way SPSP works is that you can have someone run your SPSP endpoint and not be the, like have any access to the ILP layer. Like all they need is a shared secret and your root ILP address. And they can generate new ad addresses on top of that with, you know, the necessary data in the address to help the receiver, um, you know, accept incoming stream connections, um, which is pretty cool. Um, 
And so you could have that, like where you, where you do separate those, all those bits could all be run completely independently, I think. Um, David's asking like how clarifying how we would test data and SVSP response. Um, I can tell you my, the way I was thinking about it, David, and then you know, maybe others can add. My thinking was that an attestation and SVSP response is just a URL. So I would have a URL in there that says, you know, twitter.com slash Adrian slash tweet number 157 something. And the sending wallet would actually go and fetch that tweet and then verify that that tweet contains my payment pointer in it. Um, and then they would say to the sender, um, I can confirm that, you know, Twitter handle Adrian O'Bailey um, is linked to the payment pointer that you're wanting to pay to. And then you could come up with, um, you know, standard ways to express payment pointers on a bunch of different um, platforms. So it would be like a link to somewhere on the web where the payment pointer appears and the behavior of the wallet to tie that payment pointer to that platform or website or channel would be specific to the platform. Is that what everyone else was thinking or are there other ideas there? I've just been thinking, what if somebody doesn't do social media? Well, well, I think they would still have the option you need to, to verify test to something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think like you, you would still have the ability to to use your ID or, or passport, um, and you could also imagine things like verifying a domain that you own. Um, I mean, you need to have some handle that you're trying to test, as as Adrian was was just saying. So, um, whatever identifier you are using, there could be an attestation for it. It's just more up to us to figure out. Um, you know, if we are going to be in a test as coil, like which attestations do we support, which would be like which social media services, what types of ID, et cetera. So I had an idea around email, which is a little bit like asynchronous, but you could, you know, provide an email address and the sending wallet could actually send you an email um, um, and, and get you to, you know, do something like to, to confirm that you own that payment pointer. Um, and then they could display the email address. It's a bit like, like I say, asynchronous and, and potentially slow, but if you're not interested in having any public personas, that could be one way you could tie your email address to your payment pointer. And then once the sending wallets bound those two once, you know, they could reuse that again in future if they wanted to. So, so I think this is something that the station as a phishing prevention I got to the call a little late, but like what, like do others agree with that or are there other- Yeah, yeah, we, we, we did scope this specifically as like payee verification. This is not KYC or compliance or anything like that. So, so then if that's the case, then I think, right, if, if I'm paying an entity that I don't know, <laughs> Like I, I'm only paying them because it's contextual. Like, oh, I like this piece of content. I'm going to like, you know, uh, send a payment to this off, you know, uh, whoever authored this content. Um, like then I think it's less relevant for me to know identity information about who the author is versus for instance, if I'm paying a very well-known um, creator or merchant, um, that I'm aware of that that definitely has a public presence. 
then phishing would be much more of a relevant attack because you know they're probably receiving a much higher vol volume of payments than the person that doesn't have a public facing identity and maybe doesn't want to link their social accounts so i i think it, you know it still definitely works for users that don't i think the question i have is is how does the wallet um, or user differentiate those cases. Like a lot of the phishing, like preventing phishing, a lot, some of that relies on the wallet having, you know, specific criteria um, to either block the payment or flag it to the user. So how does it know the difference between like, okay, this is just like, um, this is a recipient that probably would not be a phishing target versus like this is a recipient that might be a target of phishing. So we need higher, um, you know, we need to see how many Twitter followers they have or if they're verified on Twitter or, you know, if there are mutual followers and present that to the user so that they can hopefully, you know, identify and block the payment if it is phishing, if that makes sense. What is the case where it's not? What, what, is the, what is the case where it's low risk? I didn't follow that. Um, just like average Joe's web, you know, web monetized blog that I'm, you know, um, you know, tipping or paying for content, and I don't like, I don't know maybe I was linked to this from some social thing or something. Um, and I don't have a relationship with that um, author or that like the, the publisher of that content. Gotcha, like, gotcha. I know I'm paying the person that created it, but I don't know who they are. Um, or maybe I vaguely know who they are, but like, it's not relevant to me to see like any social information from them. Like, cause I don't follow them on Twitter or anything like that. Like it's someone I maybe was just, I was just introduced to their content. I, I think there are a number of scenarios potentially. In, that in the tipping scenario there, why do you care? Like, uh, don't you just care that the person like, you know, whatever their handle was, that that's the person you're tipping? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm saying in this case, phishing is less relevant. But then how does the wallet differentiate between, you know, the minimum stand, like what minimum standards does the wallet set? Because uh, I, I was thinking the wallet would just show what it has. Like, I don't know, this is maybe a bad idea, but like it would show, oh, Twitter handle with like a green, like verified or whatever next to it. And if it didn't have it, it wouldn't show it. So the, there's probably some user education there to know. Sadly, it, it sounds a lot like the, the SSL green box, but perhaps <laughs> if the wallet controls it, it's a little better. Yeah, we, we, we only have a, a couple of minutes. Stefan has got his hand up patiently as well. <laughs> Stefan. Um, yeah, I, I think I may have like one of the one of the few answers that that, that fits in, in in that number of minutes, which is, I think this might be out of scope, the question you're asking, okay, because, and here's why, because I would say that it's up to the sending wallet to 
figure out how to dis display the information about the recipient in a way that like they feel best protects their users. Um, and so, for example, like whether you show a destination with no attestations, only weak attestations that are easily forged or things like that, or maybe untrusted attesters, if you show like a big red warning or if you show just like a gray, like we don't know for sure who this is, like it's kind of up to the sending wallet, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, for the purposes of us as standards designers, um, the main thing we should think about is, is how do we, what's the standard for communicating that information? And then how the, the UX of how it's being displayed, sure, we can have a little bit of a discussion of like, you know, does the standard make sense? Does it support a good UX? But I do think some of the nuances of how you display it and how that changes over time as user behavior changes, et cetera, I think it's a little bit more um, up to the sending wallets to, to figure out, in my opinion. I, I, I agree that's not, yeah, that shouldn't be part of the standard that's up to the sending wallet. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about this from like, what should the sending, yeah, what should this, how should the sending wallet implement that? Gotcha. We've got three minutes. Um, anyone have any closing comments they want to share? I, I was thinking it would be great to write some of this up, and I'm wondering if anyone wants to volunteer to do that. Um, not all at once. Sorry, just one, one, one more clarifying question. Like, is this is this blocking uh, anything? I was just thinking of your comment earlier, Stefan, about doing things that push the protocol forward. Like, is this um, is this the right thing to do next for us? Yeah, well, you know, without revealing too much uh, of, of our roadmap plans, um, uh, I would say that it is blocking if we want to do larger payments beyond streaming, right? Like, um, I think that with streaming, you can make an argument that like amounts are small, you know, stakes are low, uh, identity verification is not super important. But um, if we launch something like open payments with like retail purchases where the amounts could start to get a little bit higher. Um, this is definitely something we'd want to at least think about, have a roadmap for, even if it's not deployed day one, you know, it would be nice to have a pretty clear idea of how we get there. That'd be my opinion. And, and I think, yeah, that's um, I, I also think this is a great differentiator for Interledger and open payments versus, you know, others. Like I think, um, it's a really novel way to solve what's traditionally been a really difficult problem. Um, so being able to say like for your wallet um, in the process of authenticating you and getting your consent to authorize the payment, being able to show you really useful information about who you're paying, um, I think is pretty, um, is pretty novel and unique and I think quite a nice differentiator. Okay, really good discussion. Thanks, everyone. Um, I will get the recording to Sabine to get online ASAP, and we will chat again in two weeks, which I think probably puts us into March. Let me check my calendar. Um, 3rd of March, exactly. Uh, so we'll chat again 3rd of March. Um, if uh, anyone has any topics they want to propose, please do put them on the forum ahead of time. Um, we can do some background reading. Um, Kincaid, I know you are about to volunteer to write this up. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, um, if you, uh, if anyone is interested in doing, like writing up a, a kind of a first proposal of how this could work, let me know. Um, I'm happy to try and help out as well. 
and then with that, we'll call an end to today's meeting and chat again on the 3rd of March. Thanks, everyone.